Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. I don't want anyone to just fall over and pass out today that I'm preaching from Acts 2 on Pentecost Sunday, but um, just kind of just kind of stay with me if you would, please. Uh, I'm thankful that Pentecost is not just a day, but it is truly an experience that will change your life. I'm thankful that Pentecost is not a denomination. I said I'm thankful that Pentecost is not a denomination. But it is truly the freedom wherewith we have been made free. Amen. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat on the ones that God chose and that felt they were worthy to receive it. Oh, I'm sorry. Different version. It sat upon each of them. Somebody say all of them. Well, that's not what it said, Pastor. It said each of them. Well, let's keep reading. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they all began to speak with other tongues all means all if they were all filled with the Holy Ghost they all spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance or in other words as the Spirit spoke through them and so as we continue in this story, we understand that because it was the Feast of Pentecost, that there were many devout men dwelling in Jerusalem. It was one of the three traveling feasts that they had to come to Jerusalem for. And when the Holy Ghost fell on them, they came out of the upper room speaking in other tongues. And the Holy Ghost filled them, and others that saw it said, there's something wild going on. Are they drunk, maybe? Are, have, have they lost their mind? Are they drunk? And... Uh, the apostle said, they're not drunk. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel. He said, what you are seeing right now is the fulfillment of the guilt of the Old Testament. You, you can't unhitch the two. He said, what you're seeing right now is what was prophesied by men of old that was going to happen. That the Lord is going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. And I'm glad that you and I are a part of that outpouring today, aren't you? Amen. Let's give him thanks for it today. God, we're so thankful. Come on, fill the house with gratitude and thanks today for the goodness of the Lord. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. May the Lord richly bless you today. You may be seated. I want to preach to you uh, with the help of the Lord today. When Pentecost becomes a memorial. When Pentecost becomes a memorial. Now it's going to take me a little while to get where I'm going. To be quite honest with you. If everybody in this room here right now would have been here when Brother Gil 
uh, taught in class this morning, I would just stand up and say, ditto, amen, let's go eat. Uh, I'm not here to just blow smoke up uh, somebody's chimney, but I'm going to tell you today, that was some of the best teaching I've ever heard in my life on a mediator. It was so good. And uh, there is... There is such value in understanding that a, what we call a New Testament church really means that we're a 66-book church. It doesn't mean that we just pick up what they say in the New Testament, we neglect everything else, forget everything else, walk away from it, and that there's some kind of a new covenant that we've just bought into, and that because we're now free from the law, then... We just go about our own way. It's as if God, like, when the New Testament came, he just rewrote the word. And that kind of mindset is, is why we're in the religious mess that we're in in today's society. We've got winds of false doctrine that blow from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And religion has become like a buffet, uh, like the old, the old time super buffets, you know, back in the day. I don't know how many of you were a fan of them. I, I still am. COVID put a little bit of a hurting on the buffet days. But I, I like the ones that you could go to and you could either get crab legs or a cheeseburger. You could have, you could have shrimp cocktail or you could have fried catfish, just kind of whatever you want. But uh, I think they called that like smorgasbord or something like that, you know. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry today to bust proverbial bubbles, but the word of God is not multiple choice. There's no such thing as Pentecostal scripture, Baptist scripture, Catholic scripture, Presbyterian scripture. There's just the word. That's all. There's no such thing as one God scripture, Trinitarian scripture, Jesus name baptism scripture, Trinitarian baptism scripture. No, there's just scripture. It, it's just the word. It's just that way. So like you don't have the in the beginning of Genesis one and one and then in the beginning of John one and one. You've got one beginning, and it was in the beginning that God created the heaven and the earth. And you've got in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There's only one beginning, and there's only one God. And He's the God that created all things visible and all things invisible. Everything that we see and don't see, He was the creator of all that. But it has created quite the conundrum amongst religious people in this day and time because they feel the need to expound on the word of God because it's as if it's not powerful enough to stand on its own. So they marry themselves to ideas and, and creeds and, and their thoughts about the process of what God really meant in his word. I want to tell you that what God really meant is what God really said. I want to tell you that what God really meant is what's recorded. I, I feel like I, I feel like today we've made this way too confusing. This book is life. There, there is nothing that I treasure more than the word of God in my life. And I want to tell you why. Because when everything else passes away, when heaven passes away and earth passes away, Jesus said, my word shall never pass 
away brothers and sisters I do not want a theology that is built on the ideas and the concepts of men I want my theology to be built on who God is and who God said he was going to be I believe it and so in order for me to, to grab this idea uh, of, of what Pentecost is all about I have to separate myself this is uh, this is interesting because it, it may be offensive to some to say this but you have to divorce yourself from religion to see the purity of the word because the problem is that people have divorced themselves from the word in order to experience religion told you it's a little tough it, it, it doesn't bother people at all when when they divorce themselves from the ideas of the scripture but it really really bothers people when they have to divorce themselves from the idea that maybe what they were taught as a child is not the fullness of the truth of the word of God and so you ask a lot of people in society if, if, if you read today uh, anything which is encapsulates the, the fullness of uh, Christianity, but people like Barna or uh, groups like this that are doing research and, and uh, taking polls and all this stuff. It's not just Pentecostalism in and of itself, but it's, it encapsulates the whole of, of, of Christianity. But you find out that religious movements are on the decline. Churches are emptying out. Uh, matter of fact, you start driving through towns, uh, small towns in America, you see a lot of churches with for sale signs on the door. And some of them were holding on for dear life, and then COVID came and uh, kind of drained the rest of the life out of them. And uh, in this community, we've had churches that have tried to merge together to make it work. We had uh, several different uh, congregations that tried to come together just to share the bills and sell a couple buildings. Then they couldn't sell their buildings because... It uh, wasn't a big market for churches. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so we see that religious experience, so to speak, is on the decline because pe people, you know, if they, if they want to join a community club anymore, they, they don't really do it in Jesus' name. You know, if you, if you want to join a community club, then you'd like join the Kiwanis or something like, you know, just find you a club and be a part of. But Jesus didn't say, upon this rock, I'll build a club. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. Jesus didn't say, upon this rock, I'll build a gathering of people. He said, upon this rock, I'll build an ecclesia. He said, I will literally establish my government in the earth upon the rock. The ecclesia is not a gathering of people. It is God's government in the earth that rules as his ambassadors in the earth. So you and I, you and I must be very, very careful as we approach the word of God to understand that this is not a buffet. And, and I don't get to pick the part that I like and, and, and get rid of the part that I don't like. And I don't get to pick up on the words that breathe life into me. Listen, if you take the part that breathes life into you, then you've got to take the part that causes you to die too. 
Because what you find in the scripture is that in order to truly live, you have to truly die. That if you're to live is Christ, to die is gain, right? Now we understand that in the eternal perspective. But I want to tell you the same man that said that also said that my old man is crucified with Christ. Therefore, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. So if something in you is not dying, then Christ is not living in you. And any kind of message that says you can live however you want to live and be who you want to be and Christ is still glorified is not sound scripturally. It's not. And so, so this, is, this is something about the gospel that I want you to understand is that the gospel is abrasive. Man, that went over like a lead balloon. I said the gospel is abrasive. The, the gospel has contention with it. Oh, no, 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 no. The, the gospel, pastor, is, is milk and honey. Well, it is once you realize it's fixed the problems that's in your life. But the gospel, listen, the gospel came... To fix a problem that we created. And until that problem is fixed, it feels abrasive to us. Jesus didn't come with, with peace. He came with a sword. And the word of God is quick and it's powerful. Somebody say it's alive. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is something that when it penetrates your heart, you're going you're gonna to feel that there's something in your life that's contrary to the word of God. And so it starts working on you. So, so I'm, I'm going to back up just a little bit. And I'm going to do my best to preach this and, and, and get it all together and get it out in a hurry. But this is not just a 20-minute a uh, a, a lesson. So... I want you to stay with me. What is, what is Pentecost? What is Pentecost in and of itself? Is Pentecost a denomination of people that gather together? Is Pentecost uh, an organization? Is United Pentecostal Church, Sims of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship? What is, what is Pentecost? And I can say none of the above. None. Although I am a card-carrying member of organization, and I believe in church structure, and I believe in in some forms of church government, uh, I, I believe in the structure that it brings to us, but it is not Pentecost. There, there have, oh Lord have mercy, I'm going to get in trouble. I want you to know that on the day of Pentecost, there were not 120 people that had different convictions and different ideas. Uh, you don't know that. I do know that. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all. They had one mind. They had one accord. And they were gathered in one place. So, so, so Pentecost is not this little sect over here that's got a little bit of conviction and this that has no conviction and this is the one I want to be a part of because they have more freedom and liberties than this part has. No, no, no. I don't think you understand. We don't get our freedom in releasing conviction. We get our freedom from embracing the word. 
We get our freedom from embracing Christ because he that the Son has set free. We, we get our freedom because we embrace the idea that Calvary was not for temporary relief. That Calvary was not for chill bumps on my spine. Calvary was not so I could feel good in church. Calvary was so that I could be set free from the curse of sin in my life. That's why. So, so we're going to deal as quickly as I can. Uh, I'm going to do my best to just push fast forward and, uh, and get, get through this as quickly as I can. But what is Pentecost? I mean, what is it? So, so let's, let's deal with something that makes a lot of people uneasy, okay? Thankfully not in this church, but it would surprise you how many people that call themselves Christians that this statement would make them very uneasy. This Bible is a Jewish book about a Jewish Savior, the history of the Jewish people, and how God grafted the Gentile church into that vine. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't replace the vine. He grafted us into the vine. And so anything, oh boy, anything that separates itself from that ideology of the grafting in and marrying at Pentecost has been brushed with the broad brushstroke of Rome. Which historically did everything it could to eliminate these people and their belief systems. I want to tell you that a one God belief system did not begin with Jesus' name baptism in Acts chapter 2. A one God belief system began in Genesis chapter 1. And verse number one. And we see that same idea all through. Listen, I'm telling you today, as sure as I'm breathing, I stand before God and men today. I promise you, I stand before the Lord with every ounce and fiber of strength that's within my body to tell you that Adam was not confused on how many gods there were. I stand before heaven today on record to say that Abraham was not confused. When God called him out of Ur Chaldees, there was no confusion in Abraham. He knew who called him and he knew who he was. Again, if I could just say ditto, I would today. But Abraham, see, Jacob, Jacob was not confused about what he saw on the mountain that day. Jacob knew full and well. He said, surely this is the house of the Lord. And the Lord that he was talking about is the same Lord that was the God of Abraham. That's why he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what we must understand today is that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has got to be the God of Luke St. Clair. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has got to be the... He's got to be your God. And, and, and so this, this idea of Pentecost, what is it? And I've seen in, in our movement through the years, I don't have time to chase this rabbit hole, but I've seen people that, that believe what we call replacement theology. In other words, God divorced himself from Israel, took a Gentile church, uh, married them, 
got rid of his first bride, which is, there's zero biblical precedent, zero, none. Uh, as a matter of fact, even at his most frustrating point with Israel, when he said that he would divorce him in the same chapter, he said, my bride returned to me. And he reconciled with her. God did not get sick of the Jewish people, so he got a Gentile church. I'm going to tell you why that presents a problem. Because if, if he really did have two brides, and if you read into the revelation of Jesus that John saw, then there's going to be two tables when we get there. And there was only one table. Now there are 12 gates. Oh man, I wish I had time on that. There are 12 gates, there are 144,000 that are, that are mentioned. This means from every tribe, all 12 tribes. Somebody's saying the other day, uh, they, were, they were wondering where all the lost tribes were. I, I can tell you one place they're all going to be reconciled. I can tell you, I believe that every tribe and every tongue and every nation is going to be represented around the throne of God. Aren't you thankful for Calvary today? And so, so Christianity as a movement, especially today, listen, it's wild to me. All across America and around the world today on Pentecost Sunday, people that despise everything about Pentecostal theology are going to read from Acts 2 today. They say the whole Christendom world becomes Pentecostal one day a year. And I don't say that arrogant because I've already made clear, Pentecost is not our denomination. I, when people ask me what denomination are you, I say it respectfully because I know what they mean. Well, we're, we're, we're a Pentecostal church. But we don't connect ourselves to the idea that we are a denomination. We believe in the biblical experience. And so, what is the biblical experience? Well, you need to know that Pentecost is the Greek word for Shavuot, the Hebrew word. And this is a, you got your seatbelt on? This is a feast of the Lord that the Jews celebrated. And it happened, I know, you're probably not ready for this. It happened in Jerusalem. And, and it's very, very interesting because all of this transpires only because people were keeping the law of God and traveled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot for Pentecost. And so they're in, they're in Jerusalem. And I know a lot of people think that the Lord just shoved them in the upper room and said, I'm, I'm going to wait till they get in one mind and one accord. And then I'm going to pour my spirit out. No, there was exactness to it. He poured his spirit out on the day that Pentecost was fully come. In other words, the sun had come up. It was on the day of Pentecost. It was the day of the feast that the Holy Ghost fell. It fell on 120 people about in the upper room. Namely mentioned among that group were the apostles and Mary. The mother of Jesus. Now why does he mention Mary the mother of Jesus? Well I think it's a good question. And I think the reason that he does it is because God does everything with order and exactness. And Mary the mother of Jesus was never meant to be brought into this. I don't even know what else you would call it. Into this chaotic idea of deity. 
Mary is not deity. Mary had to be filled with deity like the other 119 people that were in the room. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is named as one that received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke with other tongues that the Holy Ghost came. So it's important to know that she received the Holy Ghost. It's important to know that Peter received the Holy Ghost. I, I was in a conversation with someone in the airport the other day. And we started talking about it. They told me their faith and, and where they came from and, and their thoughts. And they said, what, you know, same old question. What denomination are you? You're, you're a preacher. And so I started talking to them about it. And I said, let me tell you something interesting. I said, I don't know how much history you, you studied about your church. And they said, well, you know, not a whole lot. My grandmother was. And, and so we, we continued to go. I said, well, let me tell you something interesting. I said, we don't believe this. But the historical record of, of your church claims that Peter was the first pope. She said, yeah, yeah, I've, I've heard that. I said, well, let me tell you something about that. I said, did you, did you know that Peter was baptized in Jesus' name and was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost? She looked at me kind of funny. I said, no, no, hang on. Let me tell you the rest of this. I said, you know Mary? Mary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met the Mary, the mother of God. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Mary, same one. Did you know that Mary was baptized in Jesus' name? And was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost and spake with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. She said, what? I said, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, I said, pull your phone out right there. Would you just pull your phone out? I, I could do this, but I want you to do this. I said, would you just pull up Google? Because you know if Google says it, it's truth. So why don't, why don't you pull up Google right there for me? I said, I said, I just want you to type this in. When was the baptismal formula changed? When was baptismal formula changed? Do, 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 do. There it is. The baptismal formula was changed from in Jesus' name to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the Catholic Church in the second century. She looked at me kind of funny. I said, no, no, what, what I'm telling you is that everybody who was a believer at one time was baptized in Jesus' name and was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Folks, I want to tell you, this was not just an idea that we came up with in 1912 and 1913. This church that you're in today is not a product of Azusa Street. Azusa Street was a product of God trying to do in them what he did in the book of Acts. So, so th this, this feast, it's... Uh, it's interesting. God does everything on purpose. And, and so this feast, it's a feast of harvest. Man, why do you guys always preach about harvest? Well, it started in harvest. This is a, this is a harvest feast. And they, they come together at Shavuot. But what was it in approximately 33 AD on the day of Pentecost that they were set? What were the Jews celebrating? Well, it's a good question. They were celebrating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. When Moses went up into the mountain and stood before the Lord, now stay with me right here, and a fire sat down on the mountain, and a smoke filled the air, and the word of God came forth out of his mouth. Now don't let this mess you up, because I believe we can just preach the word. But if you get into to, to Jewish history and read, I don't know how they, they missed some of this. 
you get into Jewish history and read their, their oral history, their oral tradition said that when, when they celebrate Shavuot, you can go find it for yourself. When they celebrate what the, the Greek word later was Pentecost, this is what they said. They said that when Moses received the word of God, that there were 70 known languages in the world, right? We've got Babel. They have said there were 70 known languages in the world. And they said that when the voice of God came out, that it came out in every known tongue to man. And they, this is their tradition. This is not mine. They said that that fire swirled around the mountain, caused the smoke. The smoke rises into the heavens. And they said that when that fire swirled around, that it came down into the valley and it set upon everybody sitting in the Every tribe, every tongue, everybody who's in the valley. Now, stay with me right here. This ought to sound really familiar. That a sound from heaven comes like a rushing mighty wind. Fire descends on it. The word of God comes forth in every known language to man. And it sits on every man, woman, and child that's in the valley watching this happen in the mountain. Hey, let me tell you something. God, God doesn't mince words. God doesn't waste words. And there's a reason why in the New Testament we've got a record that when these 120 came together in the upper room that suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it specifically said that it sat on each of them. Because this is not exclusive. The Holy, I don't care what anybody ever tells you. The Holy Ghost is not some optional thing that God's going to give somebody that he likes more than he likes you. God doesn't give the Holy Ghost to his favored few, few folk and then, and then the rest of them, well, if, if I get it, I get it. Now, let me tell you, God is in the gift-giving business. God wants you to have his spirit. That's why when we look backwards to the Old Testament, we see prophetic utterance after utterance that his spirit is coming, that he is going to write his law on the walls of your heart. Jeremiah said it. He said, there's coming a day that the word that I inscribed on stone, I'm going to put it in your heart. He said, this is the rest wherein the weary find rest. He said, I'm going to speak to my people with an unknown tongue. I want to tell you, this was not an afterthought of God. This is not an after plan of God. God's intention from the creation of man was to provide a way of redemption. I'm in a hurry this morning. So they are literally, now follow this. From a Jewish perspective, they are literally Jewish people in Jerusalem for a Jewish feast or a feast of the Lord, however you want to say that. The Bible never says that it was a Jewish feast. It said it was a feast of the Lord. And they're in Jerusalem for a feast that the Jews celebrate. When a familiar picture comes, that the reason they are there in Jerusalem is to celebrate the fact that the law came down, the fire settled, every known tongue was heard. I had a man tell me one day, he said, look, he said, you guys... You guys create confusion with tongues. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, when people speak in tongues, it creates confusion. I said, really? He said, absolutely. It causes confusion. I said, by confusion, do you mean questions? He said, no, it causes confusion. I said, no, no, hang on just a second. 
I said, where did they speak in tongues for the first time? In the book of Acts, the second chapter. And I, and I got that deer in headlights look, right? Like, oh, no, this guy's going to go to the Bible. Like, Don't do that. I said, sir, it doesn't create confusion. It creates a question. Because when the, when the people began to speak with other tongues and they came out of the upper room... God didn't hide it in a church. He didn't conceal it in an upper room. He let it overflow. Why did he do that? Because he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost had not yet been given. That's in the Bible. So the overflow, they come out, and man, I wish we could get a hold of this again, that the Holy Ghost was so good they couldn't keep it in a building. Man, y'all didn't even have to give extra an offering for that's That's good preaching right there. I said the Holy Ghost was so good, you can't contain it to a church. And they came walking out of that upper room, and people said, oh, my word, are they drunk? Have these people lost their minds? What is wrong with them? And then Peter, not just Peter. Go read it for yourself. Peter standing up with the eleven. They are still in unity even after they come out of the building. He stood up. There were 11 people plus Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why would you say that? Oh, I think it's so important that she's mentioned. She is the only woman that was present on the day of Pentecost that had ever had him live inside of her before. The Lord puts Mary in the room so that when the Spirit comes upon her, when people turn around and look at Mary and tears are flowing and her head is nodding and she says, yes, this is it. They know this. she is the only one who had ever felt the Spirit of Christ that had lived in her before. Mary identifies with the Pentecostal experience. So here they come out of the upper room and all, this, all of this confusion is created. Or a question. They said, what, 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 what is this? Now listen, it is not confusion if it can be answered by Scripture. I said, it is not confusion because God is not the author of confusion. But when the word of God can bring peace to it, they said, well, what is it? He said, this is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. He literally answers the question by the scripture. Let me tell you, we had better have scripture that we can answer questions with. I don't want to know Peter's idea. I don't want to know his creed. I don't want to know his thoughts. I want to know what does the word say. If they ask a question, we better have the word for the question. I'm hurrying. Anybody smell your lunch cooking right now? And so, to get to where I'm going in a hurry, I want you to understand that Pentecost was a new experience in the fact that the Spirit of God filled each and every man, every woman that was in that room. And from that day forward, we know 3,000 added that day, 5,000 at another time. And the only reason we have epistles 
is because the people that were filled that day went back home to Ephesus, to Corinth, to Philippi, and the apostles sent word to them. So my, my point is, I want you to understand that although it was a new experience, it was not a new idea. God's timing is perfect. And so Pentecost has become a memorial to where people try to some way, somehow, get their roots close enough that they can say we're, we're, we're Christian. But it's only a memorial in the idea that we don't really want to buy into the fullness of what happened at the experience. We, we, just, we just want the joy that comes with it. And we get into a dangerous place that Pentecost is not relevant enough for the world. Pentecostals, you're old-fashioned. You you're going to have to change some things. Listen, I don't have permission to move fences that I didn't build. I don't have permission to change doctrines that I didn't write. Woo. Neither does anybody else that's trying to convince you that they do. I want to tell you that, that that's a bad place because they want your tithe more than they want your salvation. I'm not here today to glory about how many people are sitting in seats. I want to be sure we've got feet on streets of gold. And Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, the spirit. He said, you can't see heaven and you can't enter heaven. Stay with me. I'm almost done. But the point of the church, I hope you all got your seatbelts on. Man, I'm, I'm in fast forward mode. Everybody doing okay? feel like I'm about ready to climb the wall and bite the ceiling. The point of the church was not to be relevant. The point of the church was to be biblical. Not relevant. If you can't find relevance in the scripture, then that means what you're trying to find relevance in is contrary to the scripture. But is there anything more relevant to every life than the gospel? And so when we, when we move away from the gospel and start moving to gimmicks, we have come to a place where our number one concern is staying relevant in society. But follow me closely today. I'm not here to be mean. I'm not here to be rude. I'm not here to be crude. But I want to tell you, if your number one priority is staying relevant to society, at some point you will vacillate on biblical doctrines and principles in order to stay relevant to the world. And I want to tell you that what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost was not relevant to the Roman Empire, but it was relevant to the people that stood on the Word of God. These were people that were already standing on the word of God with the Roman Empire looking over their shoulder telling them, you can't do that. We don't like that. One day we're going to destroy your temple. Someday we're going to destroy you people. And they kept believing the word until the experience came. And they didn't stop believing the word because the experience came. Oh, somebody shout yes. The Spirit is liberating. The Spirit is so powerful. The Spirit is life-changing. But I want to tell you, these people that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost were baptized in Jesus' name on the day of Pentecost. 
They, they did not receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and then become free as Jewish people to start living like Romans because they had the Spirit. Oh, I'm trying to preach in here. The Spirit does not liberate you to live like the world. These people were already separated unto God when they came to Pentecost. It was their separation to God that brought them to Pentecost. These people that were baptized in Jesus' name and received the Spirit, they already lived a life that was irrelevant to the Romans. They already lived a life that was separate from the Roman Empire. I want to preach to you today that God's people have always been and will always be different to this world. When the Spirit comes on you, the Spirit liberates you to be more like God. Never does it liberate you to be more like the empires of this world. I want to ask you a question today. How many of you feel like you have an answer? You, I, I don't need any hands. I don't need any answers. I want you to answer this in your heart. How many of you believe that Peter was baptized any other way than in Jesus' name? How many of you believe the Apostle Paul was baptized any other way than in Jesus' name? If that's the case, let me ask you this. Why then would there be an creed tied to the Apostles? That first of all, not one apostle was alive when it was written. But why would there be an apostle's creed that would say to be baptized any other way than in the way that the apostles were baptized? Can I tell you, I know how Peter was baptized. I know how the apostle Paul was baptized. They were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sin. No, they weren't baptized in Yeshua. Why would God speak English too? This, this, this Yeshua movement is so funny. They're like, if you don't say Yeshua, well, I'm like, well, you better say everything in Hebrew then. If you don't use the Hebrew name of Jesus, and it's not, but that's not true. I don't care, I don't care if you say it in Swahili, Yesu. I don't, I don't care if you say it in Hebrew, Yeshua. I don't care if you say it in, in English, Jesus. I don't care if you say it in Spanish, Jesus. I'm telling you, there's still only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the only name that has salvation. It's the only name that will save you from your sin. I don't care what accent you say it with. I don't, I don't care what your dialect is. I want to tell you that a devil knows when you say Jesus in Spanish. I want to tell you that a devil knows when you say Jesus in French. The devil knows the name of Jesus and he trembles. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying. Pentecost has become a memorial in the idea that this was the simple roots of where we came from. But it, it wasn't really complete. No, let me, let me tell you. There is nothing more complete than the fullness of understanding who he is. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9 is so powerful. For in him, Jesus, somebody, somebody just help me with this, dwelleth all the, the fullness. 
of the Godhead bodily. The fullness, the full, there is nothing more fulfilling. Let's go to verse 10. And ye are, man, y'all are preaching so good. Ye are complete. Well, I just, I don't feel like the Pentecostal experience in the book of Acts was enough to complete. That, that, that's why. Because you're, you're leaning on the experience. You're just, you're just, listen, let me tell you. He is the head of all things. He is the reason why we exist. That's why when we baptize, we baptize in his name. Because we are complete in him. We don't baptize in a title of who he is. We baptize in his name. Because salvation is in the name. Salvation is in the name. It's not a memorial name. It's the only name. And so in closing today, if you've been in this church for a long time, you know I struggle with some things that, that, that modern Christianity has done. And, and one of them, please understand, I'm not just blowing steam. I'm not frustrated. I'm not upset. I, I don't get it. I just I don't understand why we live in a day and time where we'll make a schedule and say this, this, this is going to be baptism Sunday and you have to wait until then to be baptized. And so, so we'll bring a massive group of people together and baptize them all at the same day. And, and I'm not against it. I mean, we've had days where we, where we baptize a lot. But I'm going to tell you, I hope this makes sense and don't come across wrong and, and rub anybody the wrong way. Or maybe it should. I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck. I'm just saying the problem that I have with these mass scheduled baptisms is that while mass baptism may be possible, mass repentance is not. And this is what's created the problem is people thinking they're getting baptized as some outward expression of an inward faith without repentance. The, the, the Bible doesn't teach anywhere that baptism in Jesus' name is an outward expression of an inward faith. Baptism in Jesus' name is literally entering into the covenant of his name. And you cannot enter into a covenant with his name still married to this present world. There's no way that you can baptize 749 people in Jesus' name and, and just say, all 749 of you stand right there and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, I repent, and I'm sorry. That's not repentance. That's a prayer. I'm preaching to you today. Pentecost is going to become a memorial when we start saying that all you got to do is just tell God you're sorry. Look, I can tell my wife a thousand times I'm sorry and go jump in the sack with somebody else. And I'm, I'm telling her I'm sorry, but I'm not showing her I'm sorry. At some point, I've got to say, baby, I love you. You're the only one for me. I'm not interested in anybody else. I'm going to stay with you. It's just me and you. You know what we're saying when we get baptized in Jesus' name? We're saying, Lord, I'm off the market. I took your name. I don't need anybody else's name. I don't need anybody else. I've repented of my sins. I've turned from my wicked ways. I'm headed in the direction of the will of God. I'm embracing the will of God. Let's stand. I, I, I've got to quit. Pentecost becomes memorial when we make repentance a prayer and, and it's no, no longer a way of life. Paul said, I die daily. I die every day. I repent every day of my life. Family, listen. I'm, I'm, I'm not here today in any way to tell you how horrible you are. But I hope you can see through the smoke of what I'm saying today of how good God is. There's not one of us in this place that don't need him. 
There's not one of us in this place that don't need the apostolic Pentecostal experience. What do you mean apostolic? I mean what the apostles preached. When we say it's apostolic, it means the apostles believed it and the apostles preached it. When we say Pentecostal, it's the experience that the apostles had first with 120 and then 3,000 that day and 5,000 a few days later. It's the same that Samaritans had in Acts chapter 8 and that Cornelius and the Gentiles had in Acts chapter 10 and the ones that have been baptized by John the Baptist in Acts 19. Listen, everywhere that we see the Pentecostal experience unfold, it is without aberration. It is without variance. Every one of them received the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking another tongues and every one of them were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of their sins. I'm here to preach to you today that Pentecost cannot be a memorial. It's got to be an experience that we live every day of our lives. We've been freed from the law of sin and death and we've got to live like we're free. We've got to live like we are no longer bound by the gods of this world. I'm asking all across this place today you just raise your hands to the Lord and say God I want a deeper relationship with you God if I, if I have viewed you through a filtered lens of man's idea would you please forgive me today I want to see you as the God of mercy that you are the God who was seated high but robed himself in flesh he came and dwelt among us we beheld your glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I pray in the name of Jesus today that you would be more real to me, God, than you've ever been. I pray today, God, that the reality of your presence would meet us in this house right now. I pray, God, that Pentecost would never become a memorial experience to us, but that Pentecost would be an experience that we live every single day of our lives God we want to give you the glory for it's you that deserve the glory and the honor and the praise we know today great God without controversy great is the mystery of godliness God you were manifest in the flesh you were justified in the spirit you were seen of angels you were preached unto the Gentiles and you were received up into glory and today we know that when we call on your name, we are calling on the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the one which was, which is, and which is to come, the Almighty. We know today, Lord, that there is no power that compares to your power. There is no God that compares to our God. You are a Savior all by yourself today. And we love you. We worship you. You've never repented of your sins today. I want to tell you, you're in the right place at the right time. If, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got water today. And if you'll repent of your sins and turn in God's direction, I want you to know that when you get baptized in this water, to some it may just be H2O, to some it may just be a little pool in a church. But I want to tell you what we believe. We believe when we invoke the name of Jesus over you, that the blood that he shed on Calvary washes your heart white as snow. We believe it's for the remission of your sin. In other words, it don't matter where you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter anymore because the devil can't see through the blood of Jesus. And when the name of Jesus washes your sins from you, the devil can't blame you for that anymore. 
The, the devil can't bring that up in your face anymore. And we believe that when your sins are washed away, that you will receive the spirit of the living God in you. We believe that this morning. Can we reach our faith towards heaven one more time today?